welcome everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so glad you could. This is Adam from Miller's Custom Guitars and the N Plus One Podcast. Uh, you know, uh, I hope that you had a great holiday season. I know that I did. Uh, I had a great Christmas and this episode will be dropping after New Year's. And I hope that you guys can uh, extend me a little bit of grace in uh, taking the month of December off, uh, which I did. You know, uh, we're launching right into the New Year's with brand new episodes and a couple great guests lined up for you. Um, if you're new to the show, this show is the M plus one podcast. And this show is all about um, hobbies, passions, obsessions. Um, I like to bring on guests and we like to interview amazing guests and talk about um, just whatever they're into. We want to talk to guests about um, what makes them tick, what they're into. Uh, you know, it's, it's the name of the show is like for guitar players, right? I'm a musician, a guitar player. How many guitars is enough guitars? And the, the running joke for age and Ages upon ages is uh, the number correct number of guitars is n plus one right. There's always room for one more guitar in the stand. Uh, if you're an artist, there's always room for another uh, painting, another uh, painting on the wall. Uh, if you're a mountain climber, there's always another mountain to climb or another trail to hike. And so that's the name of the show is is n plus one podcast. I don't just want to know what all of our guests are passionate about. I want to know what is next. That is the show, and so we always bring on amazing guests. And if this is your first time on the show, um, I'm so excited to bring on today's guest, which is an old high school friend of mine. I've known this person for probably over 20 years. Uh, that's kind of scary. Um, this is my friend, high school friend, Kyle Waller. He's an amazing chef and we will talk to him about what he's currently up to. And I've been wanting to talk to a chef for a long time. So we'll see all about, we'll hear all about that in just a minute. Um, and then uh, we will find out about that. So without further ado, we will get into the episode and we will talk to Kyle. So Kyle, welcome to so much. This is Kyle Waller, uh, who I have known for at least probably 20 years, dude. Can you yeah. believe it's been that much? Uh, yeah. you know, Desert and I have been married 18 years. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I remember, uh, I know it's been that long. It's probably been more like 25 years because I'm yeah. 42 mm, and do you remember you uh I think you played at my 18th birthday party remember okay. you guys opened for Prosper do you remember that over at uh didn't, didn't don't you remember that was was it Hanyak it or, wasn't Hanyak it, it was the one that you it was uh, I don't the one know. with Tim, Tim Dalrymple no it wasn't maybe it wasn't you but uh but it was back that it was it was pretty far it was pretty back then I don't know whatever but anyway we've known each other going back to high school yeah. that was a long time ago uh, <laughs> welcome to the show Thank uh, you. you you threw me off mentioning Tim I should have him on the show he's amazing he's an amazing musician yeah he is writer I should have uh -huh. him on the show um, but thank you for coming on the show and I wanted to talk to you because you have you know uh, you know in in high school you're a rocking musician. Uh, yeah. but you spent basically your entire career, uh, uh in the professional kitchen as yeah. a, a chef and a barista and, uh, you know, a pastry chef. And mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to talk to you about that. Um, you know, I consider myself a pretty talented, uh, cook. I can, uh, cook some pretty delicious things. We made tamales for Christmas. Uh, they turned out delicious. You got, sorry, you guys will have to, excuse me. I'm fighting a little head cold right now. Um, I made tamales for Christmas and they turned out really delicious, but like, I'm, I'm not a chef. I'm not, I'm not a cook. I'm more of a cook than a chef. And, but Kyle here is professionally trained. Uh, he is, he's the real deal. Um, so Kyle, can you, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, wh what your current role is and what you do there. And then, uh, after that, I'll, I'll have some follow-up questions and how you got there. Sure. Um, so right now I work for a hospitality company, um, called plants and animals, and we're here in Burien, Washington, which is just about 15 minutes Southwest of Seattle proper. Um, and we're basically the first, like just one of the first cities that are not incorporated into the city of Seattle. Um, so pretty close to downtown still feels kind of like, a you know, hometown or like a rural um but uh, a lot of the you know um metro big metro amenities um 
And we, uh, we have three shops right now, um, two coffee shops, one's in white center. It's called moonshot coffee. Um, and that's a little pocket hole coffee shop. Um, we also have a coffee shop in Burien called Burien press. And that was our first store or first shop. Um, and then we have, uh, another all day cafe in another part of Seattle called, um, it's called Beacon Hill. Um, just another kind of neighborhood spot. So, um, those three spots, uh, are under our umbrella. We also have like a, like a wine distribution, um, that we developed during COVID, which is like a, basically a wine delivery system or delivery service. Um, and yeah, within our hospitality company, we have, um, a kitchen program, which we have a ghost kitchen or a commissary kitchen or whatever you want to call it. It's a kitchen that's not attached to any like retail or like front, uh, customer facing. So it's, um, a kitchen that we make all of our food in and then we pack it up and we deliver it. So almost like a catering company, but we cater to ourselves or to our own coffee shops. Um, and right now, um, I am, my title is the food service coordinator at, uh, the, at this hospitality company. And, um, what that basically is, is like the woke term for, uh, executive chef. Um, and I mean, we can get into this another time, but I feel like the hospitality industry is sort of like, um, reimagining what the roles are like and, and, um, you know, verbiage and like titles. And this is happening, you know, in lots of different professions where we're not sure. calling people managers anymore you know we're we're pivoting our language um so like, like for example who was the last time anyone said secretary right you know like we don't say secretaries we don't say you know like like exactly yeah. just like what you said so yeah so i think it's like you know sort of uh like a modern uh, modern term but um in all intents and purposes i would be considered like the executive chef or the uh, food director for our company. Um, and what, like what that means is basically I am in charge of like facilitating all the food that either gets made or curated by our team. Um, and that started with, you know, when I started out, I think it was in 2019 with this company. Um, we had, one food service employee, which was myself. And I was just working at a small little like six foot table in one of our coffee shops with a big dream to like, you know, grow this program. They were buying all their food from other vendors. Um, so basically I just started like loading up their deli case with, um, you know, thoughtful, wholesome food that wasn't, you know, didn't have a lot of processing and um we just really did like grew that from you know quiche and frittata and breakfast sandwiches to you know i think we have like over 40 or 50 you know menu items amongst all of our cafes that we're responsible for right now so i mean from from ordering or from um, conceptualizing all the dishes uh to testing recipe testing um costing you know, doing all the back end work on all of our recipes to teaching how to, you know, produce the product, uh, how to pack it, how to deliver it, how to heat it up. I'm, I'm responsible for, from start to finish, um, coordinating all of that, uh, all of our food that we make. Um, and so, uh, one of the, one of the big things that we do also is a lot of pastry. Um, we, we've developed, you know, I think like, like eight or nine signature cookies um, we either bake bake those off ourselves or we uh i think i kicked the cord on my phone or my camera oh bummer and uh gosh this is just oh you know i think my camera might have gotten too hot and switched over wow this is just this is just wonderful today that's okay we're making it work <laughs> go to the go to the webcam oh guys Everyone's going to see the lie. <laughs> Would you see the lie in my garage? Yeah. <laughs> Look, we still have stockings up, guys. Nice. 
So we've, we've been developing a lot of pastry uh, products, um, a lot of which were like making in the kitchen, um, freezing those products and then delivering them frozen, um, like croissants being like an uh, example. Um, we make the croissants in our ghost kitchen. We freeze them and then de- deliver them frozen. And then the cafe will proof those or like let them rise and bake them off. So we do a lot of like the beginning work and then we let the we let the cafes do a lot of the finish work on on some of our products. So it's a role that I haven't really ever been in before. Um, I've mostly been in fine dining for my entire career. Yeah. Um, Doing, you know, tasting menus and, you know, real, you know, uh, time consuming type of cooking. Uh, And so this was really a role to, uh, be able to be a full-time dad and do something that's like part-time and, uh, you know, the food and food and hospitality industry is, is very, uh, demanding. Um, so all my years in fine dining was, you know, a lot of sacrifice of my time to, you know, to those establishments, those restaurants. Um, and so I'm just at a point in my life where it's like, I could either go into like working for like a, you know, food, like a, like selling food, like being like a salesman, you know, like for like a, you know, purveyor or something, those lines, um, you know, or doing something a little bit more like stepping out of the, like not spotlight, but like out of the fast lane so much. And like, working somewhere that's a little more like a different pace. Yeah. A different pace. Right. You wanted to change a pace. Now this is one question I ask like all of my guests, which is to like explain it like I'm five, right? How old are your kids? You got kids, right? Yeah. I have three. I have a, a a eight year old, a five year old and almost two year old. So like your five year old, how would you explain kind of what you do to your five year old? Like, like something simple just to explain like, like what you do to, to your five-year-old. Like, what do I do? What do I do in what? Respect? Like your job, like, like your, like your, your job and, and oh, your, okay. your overview of your job. Just like something, a simple my five-year-old? Summary, okay. summary. My job is I make tasty food for people. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah. simple. But I also have to do everything that comes with that. Yeah. And that's from, you know, doing dishes and scrubbing floor drains and, you know, you know, to like managing inventory. And, uh, that's really what my, what my job right now looks like a lot of, you know, number crunching and, um, like making systems to Mm -hmm. the food. And I think it's like, you know, like a lot of people, can be really good cooks. Like I'm sure you're, you know, you make delicious food. Yeah. Um, I think what separates like a, a professional chef from like a home cook is being able to mass produce or understand like making systems that work for making things a lot larger scale. Right. Scale. Also, yeah. And also, you know, being able to do that, do that consistently, right. you know, like what was what were you saying you made for for christmas this year tamales tamales okay right. so you know you have to be able to make the same exact tamale right. every single day no matter how your day is going no matter if your you know pork delivery didn't get there in time and your meat is not quite as tender as it's supposed to be right you know you have to push things you know right. in certain ways and so um developing systems to to make products really consistent is like one of the biggest parts of my job. Right. And uh, you know, two or two to four dozen tamales is a lot different than two to 400 tamales, you know, and two to four dozen tamales once a year is a lot different than two to 400 tamales every day, you know? So yeah, it's a, something that it's a skill you can learn and some people can learn it and some people are great at it. So um, the question that comes to my mind it's like back when we were buddies, you were like this like punk kid that just liked to rock, right? Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. How how did you get into the kitchen? What was your gateway drug? What what was it that yeah. made you want to go into the kitchen? And how did you end up in there 
and uh, what was your path? For sure. Um, well, I still do like to rock. I'm not <laughs> I'm saying like, you don't. I'm like looking at my drum set okay. sitting up in the corner right. and now, like I haven't played that in a few months. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I still do like to play music. Um, yeah. What was my gateway drug for food? Um, it was really at Bayer High School, honestly. By um, your? What's that? That's it. By your? By your? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, it's like that story is really odd because I, um, I went to Bayer just for my senior year of high oh, school. Really? And I switched schools because a lot of my homies, like, you know, Mark Chin and Kevin and, and Carson, all those dudes from, uh, from Hanyok, they all graduated. And I, I, uh, I was really tight with, uh, with Tim Dalrymple. And, right. um, uh, I went to Bayer to play bass in the jazz band. Mm. And the only way I could go to switch schools was to get into this food service program that buyer offered. And it was like, they were the only, they were the only food service program that was doing that with students, like in the whole school district. So I was like, okay, okay. If I, if I get into this food service program, I can join the jazz band with my homies. And, uh, I ended up like the tables like turned, I ended up like falling in love with the, the food. food service program and like completely hated the jazz band. <laughs> Uh, I stuck it out, but it was, it was like, it was pretty rough. It was a zero period. Uh, you, had to get know, there, you had to get there super early. Super early. Yeah. And so the food service program, I sort of just like, like I was like blown away by like, um, you know, just sort of the pace of like what the kitchen was and, you know, it was kind of dangerous and people were sort of like curt, but not like offensive. It was just like, this is what we're doing, you know, like down to business, yeah, direct, like hard work on your feet work, um, you know, really tangible outcome. Uh, and yeah, it felt good. If like, I remember, um, like signing up that senior year to go in like extracurricular and make like, I don't even know how many pies we made, but it was like, a like a, like, you know, a huge pie bake off that they did every year. And it was just like hundreds of pies. And I, I remember like learning how to line a pie tin for the first time and sort of just like being like mesmerized with like the repetition and the, like the assembly line and like the, just the, the way that it, that they functioned. Um, and so uh, I really got hooked into cooking and you know, into discovering things and something else that really like fueled this, uh, like passion was I grew up like eating some really boring cuisine and my nice. parents, especially my dad was like very, very like uninterested in anything like ethnic or like anything weird. Uh, and so he really stuck to like a really narrow minded sort of food wise, you know, even, even vegetables, he was just like a steamed cauliflower, steamed broccoli. And that's pretty much it. Sure. Um, so, you know, like I started discovering like taco trucks and yeah. like pho and, right. you know, like banh mi sandwiches right. and Middle Eastern food sure. and. I just became like really addicted to uh, flavor and just like what I like, I just hadn't experienced any of these foods before. And so um, it really became this sort of obsession of like, uh, I just really got seduced by, you know, uh, food culture and kitchen culture. And it was right around the time when um, the food network was starting to kind of gain some steam and yeah. like, there was these like chefs that were on TV, like, you know, Bobby Flay and those, right. those, you know, all those people were just starting to like kind of become popular. Um, and I, I remember reading this book. Uh, well, actually I read this book a little bit later into uh, my cooking career, but that was one of the things that really like, like solidified, like I'm doing this as a career. Like this is like, I connect with this so much. Um, and it was Anthony Bourdain's uh, kitchen confidential. Right is the name of the book. And it's like, it just kind of talks about like the underbelly of like 
you know, the food industry in New York city and, um, you know, it's a little bit like gruff and grimy. Uh, there's just something, I don't know. I, it, it wasn't like the dysfunctionality that I was attracted to. I really, really connected with the food and the techniques and plating food and, you know, yeah. getting like the reaction that I would get from people that would eat something that I created, um, you know, and really getting to connect with someone on a, on a much more like primitive, like level of like, just like nourishing you yeah. Um, for some reason, like just really connected with me. So nice. Um, and you went to culinary school, school, is that correct? I did. Yeah. Um, but before I went to culinary school, um, I actually, I, my first kitchen job was at the fruit yard. Okay. Do you know the fruit yard? Yeah. Over in uh series or whatever, or on the hatch road. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah my, my parents live, my grand, my in-laws live in Houston. So we drive right past it every time. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, yeah. so I worked in that kitchen doing like the, the buffet, like Tuesday night buffet and Sunday brunch. And, you know, I just learned how to like, like little things. They didn't let me on the line to cook or plate anything, but I got to run food like back and forth through the buffet and like kind of, you know, did a little bit of chopping and stuff here and there. And, um, that was my first like for real kitchen job. And then I, I got this really random opportunity to move onto this boat that was Long Beach. And it was through this, like, I went on this, um, I went on this missions trip with Calvary Chapel. Okay. And it was this like traveling, traveling music performance. Okay. And like, we went all through like LA and like, we, we even performed at like adventure land, uh, what's California adventure. Um, and it was this like traveling show and we were at magic. We were like at magic mountain and I ran into a friend of mine and he's like, yeah, I'm working on this boat in long beach. And he's like, we're looking for a, like a cook right now. Like one of our cooks just like, like totally bailed on us or something. And so I was like really sort of looking for some sort of change. I, you know, I didn't really have any like ties to Modesto. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I had this interview like at magic mountain on the phone with the captain of this boat. And it was just a really random, like connection that sort of felt like really, um, like it was going to be cool. And it was, it was really, really cool. We got to, so I, I worked on that boat and that was the first like time that I was like seriously in charge of some food or like I was, I was working with another person, but it was the two of us. And it, it turns out that this boat is like a, uh, it's like science camp on a boat. So we would bring on, you know, a hundred to 150 people that would stay on the boat for three to four, three, four or five days. And we would take them to Catalina Island and back. And they would do all sorts of like science camp and like learning and like, you know, activities and stuff that kind of went along with like marine biology. And we were in charge myself and another person of uh, feeding these people like three meals a day. So it was like a lot of planning went into it because we, we had to like load up all of our stuff and then go out for like five days and come back and we had to make sure we had enough food for, you know, quite a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so, and it was a, it was a really quirky situation because it was like, I mean, you're cooking on a boat. We weren't like, like in massive seas for most of the trips, but, um, at certain points we were cooking while it was like, you know, you know, we were in some heavy, like some heavy ocean. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it was like a, it was a year and a half of, of working on this boat that, um, kind of went all over. We went, uh, in the winter time, it's a little too cold to do the, what they did in California. So they crossed, they went to Hawaii and they, they did the same sort of thing in Hawaii with some schools there. And we had like some ties over there. So I actually went to Hawaii and um, I got to like, uh, you know, go to all the islands. We even took this research trip all the way up to um, Midway 
or like near midway, which was wild. And it was, it was, have you heard of the group Noah? No. They're like, it's like the national oceanic. I forget what the acronym is. Anyways, they're, um, they're, they're like a, like sort of like a national geographic offshoot. Um, but they rented our boat and we sort of just like, you know, we just let them do their thing. Um, but we got, they went on like some islands that were like uninhabited and they had to, you know, like put biohazard, their stuff in like biohazard bags that like when they would come off, they were studying birds, I think. Um, so we did, yeah, I, I did a bunch of, excuse me, excursions with this boat. And I learned a lot about sort of, um, you know, planning for like a large, a large group, a large event, um, or like, you know, multiple days at sea. Um, so that was like huge, like huge learning curve for me. Um, and it was like, you know, about a year and a half into it that I was like, I just know enough to be dangerous and I want to go to culinary school. And I just sort of had been, I had been dreaming about going to culinary school since like, you know, my senior year in high school. And so, uh, you know, I left the boat, I, uh, moved back up to, Modesto with my folks and I uh, enrolled in culinary school in San Francisco uh, at the CCA, uh, the uh, California Culinary Academy. And I was uh, actually like their first class since they started the Cordon Bleu. Like Cordon Bleu is a, a, like a chain of culinary schools. Yeah, sure. And they endorse all these different culinary schools. So basically they came in and they like, I don't know if they bought the school, but all the uniforms changed, the knives changed, you know, the, all the, you know, everything you got, the, the, the books, all of that, um, they all changed. And they, uh, so we were the first class with like all the new uniforms. And so everyone knew that we were like the newbies, like <laughs> we, we were like stuck out, like really, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. Um, so for a while, I was actually, I was living in Modesto, commuting to the city to go to culinary school for about three or four months. Um, and I was working in Livermore. And this, it's, this is sort of like a whole other subject. But for a while, I, was, I had been working with my dad um, at his office. This episode has been brought to you by... The M plus one podcast. You know, we are a small podcast. We don't have sponsors, um, except for ourselves. You know, uh, we're self-funded, we're self-supported. Uh, and, uh, one way that you can support this podcast, uh, is, you know, you could click on the link down in the show notes, whether you are just listening uh, on your phone or in the car. Um, there are show notes, uh, through, if you're on, if you're on, uh, Spotify or Apple Music or however you're listening to the show, there will be show notes. Or if you're watching on YouTube, um, the same thing. If you look at the show notes, there will be um, a link in the show notes to buy M plus one podcast merch through our Redbubble store. And uh, that is just a way that you can uh, support the show and wear the merch of your favorite podcast. Or if it's not your favorite podcast, you know, just a podcast that you like. Um, that's a great way to support the show and get the word out. Another great way that you can support the show is to just by sharing an episode with someone that you think might enjoy the show. Um, you can share this episode with Kyle or, you know, uh, just find an episode that you think is really cool. You know, I was thinking about, I was, uh, hanging out with, uh, Keenan Brennan, uh, a couple days ago before Christmas. Um, and he recently got married, happy, uh, and happy marriage. Keenan, congratulations. Oh, that's it. Congratulations, Keenan. Uh, him and his beautiful bride are celebrating their first Christmas together. Um, and he was one of my first guests. He was actually my second guest ever. Uh, and that's a really fun episode, uh, where we just talk about his passion for uh, creativity and building guitars. That was a great episode. Um, but just find an episode that you think is cool. Uh, you know, I talked to Kyla Myers about, um, running a youth community theater, uh, and her passion and how she got into that. That's a really fun episode. There's so many great episodes. We've been doing this for about a year, about 15 months, 
15, 16 months, there are 36 full interview episodes. I've been looking at it. So yeah, find an episode, share it with someone. That's a great way to support the show. The last thing you can do is to join the Facebook group. Yes, we have a Facebook group where um, you can come on, be part of the Facebook group. And it's not just me promoting the show. It's also trying to be interactive, finding, um, I also, I always, almost always post additional content from the episodes. If there's photos, if there's, uh, comments. Um, and then I also try to stimulate interaction. Um, what are the guests you want to see? Um, what are the things you're working on? That's a great way to interact with the show and you can find a link to that in the show notes. Anyway, we will get you back to the show. Hope you're liking it. Guys, you, you're going to have to forgive us for some technical difficulties. It's just how it goes sometimes. Um, <laughs> this whole, this whole recording has been technical difficulties, but that's, that happens sometimes. I'm just really grateful to get Kyle on and this has been a good conversation, but you're talking about, you were in the, 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 um, you're in culinary school. One of the questions I had about culinary school is what training does culinary school give you that just on the job training doesn't give you, you know, like if you just go and work in kitchens, you're going to learn so much. I, I, I've, I've known great chefs and great cooks that have just worked in kitchens their whole life. What's the difference going to culinary school? So you're going to learn um, a lot of classic French technique in culinary school. That's really the foundation. So the first class, you know, you're learning classic French knife, knife work, classic French stock making, sauce making. You learn your mother sauces. You learn, you know, all the basics of French cuisine, um, you know, different terms for different specific like cuts and, you know, different techniques, you know, you are, you, you are exposed to, um, like that, like French traditional cooking. And I feel like a lot of backbone is, is like built from that. Um, and a lot of cuisines are rooted in that, you know, if you take something like, you know, Thai food or Vietnamese food, you know, it has a lot of like French background to it. Sure. You know? Um, and so, uh, you know, there's, you go through a lot of different classes in culinary school from the first is like basic skills class. You're learning how to make stocks and sauces. And um, there's actually a great book uh, called the making of a chef uh, written by Michael Rollman. And it is basically the whole book talks about, you know, he went through culinary school and writes about it. It's a full book all about culinary school. So sure. if you're ever curious about it, it's a pretty cheap way to learn what exactly you're getting into and pick up some, little tips here and there. Um, but, uh, you start off with basic skills, you do butchery, you do, uh, garmanger, which is a French term for cold food or the cold kitchen. Um, and so in that class, that, that is a very vast world, cold food preparation and the French garmanger. It can be anything from cured meats to, you know, um, like setting things in aspic, which is kind of like gelatin, um, doing like chauffeur platters, um, like, like really like old school, like French, like banquet style food is what, what that really is, is about. And there's a lot of like, really like, there's a lot of recipes and techniques that you're really only going to see in like high end hotel buffet style so a lot of it is niche, you know, it's niche to French cooking, it's niche to hotel work. Um, and a lot of, you know, it's not like real, like pedestrian sure. food. So, um, and then you move on to, you do pastry, like basic pastry class. Um, you do like a, uh, um, you run a student kitchen. So basically you make hot lunch for the students. So you can go and you can grab, whatever they're serving in the, in the hot lunch kitchen. And that's a whole class. And they come up, they have like a, a, a menu that they do sort of every three weeks. And it, it's funny. Cause like we could predict, like, we're like, Oh, like I can't wait till like Wiener schnitzel day. 
or like schnitzel day. Cause that was like one of the best meals that they made in that sure. class for some reason. Um, so we would always look forward to like, you know, second week of that class after we like, we we're like seniors or whatever, cause we were so tired of all the other food. Um, and then you move into, this was at least my curriculum. Um, you move into uh, some ethnic cuisine, you know, like uh, we had a class called um, uh, Cuisine of the Americas. So you sort of studied like South American, Mexican, uh, you know, America. You, we kind of went around the country and studied a couple different, like, um, I think, um, you know, New England was one of the, was one of the cuisines. Cuban was one of the, one of the cuisines, Tex-Mex, um, barbecue. Uh, so you kind of study, you know, different ethnic cuisines. I also had an Asian class and I had a, um, it was like a European cooking class, but it was like more Mediterranean focused. So sure. like Spanish, Italian, uh, Turkish, you know, Moroccan, we kind of studied like that, like Mediterranean diet a little bit and then we went into like advanced classes so it was like advanced butchery advanced pastry advanced garmanger advanced you know all the classes that i had in intro classes to i basically had like advanced classes to those okay. so sort of like coming back and reviewing some of it and then your last class was like running the 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 um, we had a restaurant at the school and it was a public restaurant. So basically you could just walk in off the street and like eat there. And um, your, your last class is working in that restaurant, um, which wasn't a realistic view of what sure. a restaurant actually is, sure. um, you know? And so would I go to culinary school again? Probably not. Honestly, I would probably just like move to Europe and work <laughs> in like a Michelin star restaurant. Cause at least doing that, like you're breaking even, you know, at least they'll like give you maybe a mediocre place to stay and uh, something to eat. Yeah. You know, but you work for nothing and you pick parsley and, you know, turn vegetables and just do really menial work, you know, scrubbing, the kitchen down at the end of the night till three in the morning, you know, waking up and being there at nine, you know, just like really like the worst sort of, yeah. but you know, like looking back, like I'm like, I, I took out massive student loans to go to culinary school. It's like, it, it makes me like, like super mad that I am still paying for my tuition. Yeah. Um, and, you know, cause I was just struggling for so long to even make my like minimum, you know, yeah. like no money towards my principal loan. So I feel like the, the, the hook was like, yeah, you're, you're going to be able to like work in like elite restaurants and you're going to be, be able to make like this much money. And that was like well oversold. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I got out of culinary school and I, uh, I actually moved back to Modesto and I worked at Galetto. Sure. Great. For great restaurant. A year and a half. And it was yeah. really, I honestly, I have a funny story because I initially, it was it, your last class technically is called your externship. And it's basically like a working class. Like you go work at a restaurant that's affiliated with the school and then you you are graded on how well you did. So these restaurants were basically getting like these freebie people to come work there. And they didn't pay me anything. So I, I had to like go and work at a restaurant doing real work, but it was only for school credit. And so I originally, um, I originally had uh, got... Uh, my extern site to be there was this old restaurant in Modesto. Was it called Hazel's? Yeah, Hazel's, the French yeah. restaurant. Is it still there? I don't know if it's still there, but that's where I went uh, on my uh, on my prom. That's where I took my prom date. Yeah, same. Yeah, it was like <laughs> the fanciest restaurant in Modesto. It was yeah. like so. Like me, I'm thinking like I'm just gonna if I'm moving back home, I'm gonna go try to work at the fanciest place. And so I hit them up and like, I got, you know, approved to do my, you know, my externship there one day there. And I was like, no way. 
I'm not working here. This is like smoke and mirrors. Like they were serving what they were serving. Like if people saw like how their kitchen looked and like what was actually being done, yeah. it, was, it was like really, really mediocre food on like nice tableware. Yeah. And it was like, maybe like the service was fancy, but the food was not, not highbrow. Yeah. And so, and I knew like walking into that place, I was like, this is not the place. This is not the thing, man. Yeah. And so my, I had a backup plan. I talked to John, John Serlo was the chef at Galetto. And I, uh, I had asked him if like, he would be like a backup plan. And so um, you know, and he gave me major grief about it. <laughs> um, but he was like, yeah, you can, you can do your externship here. And so like the, the vast difference between Galetto and Hazel's was like mind blowing. Like Galetto honestly is the best setup kitchen that I've ever worked at. Yeah. I mean, it's a immaculate, beautifully laid out kitchen. Yeah. Um, and like, if I could have a dream kitchen, it would probably be that place. Like that place is, you know, they put so much money into that place. Yeah. You know, it's probably a $5 million kitchen. Oh, wow. Maybe not then, but like now. Now it would be. Now it would be maybe more. Yeah. I mean, they had, they had all the bells and whistles. They had like, like it was, it was super, super nice. Um, and so, yeah, I was super stoked to work there. I learned a lot from John. He was not a nice person to work for. Um, pretty abusive, uh, you know, really typical chef type of, uh, persona or like what people imagine, you know, like kind of cruel or like would just pick on you. Yeah. I didn't enjoy working with him so much, but he knew a lot. And I, I did like try to absorb, as much as I could. And that's been a lot of my mantra of working in like a highly dysfunctional places that attract, you know, people who are addicts and, you know, just in chaos was to just grab a hold of any food knowledge that I could. <clears throat> and then, you know, kind of like ignore the rest of it um, or just like function within it stay on my, in my lane, um, and just kind of hope for like bigger things. Um, so I worked there for like a year and a half, I think. Um, and then I, uh, I got a really great opportunity to move to the central coast. Um, and I don't know if I'm like rambling or if I should keep going with like, well, yeah, so you're, 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 your uh you know your your path is is really interesting but i kind of want to move on to some of the questions because you mentioned you mentioned like your your old boss who is kind of that what we might consider like the stereotypical like like angry like chef maybe sure. uh and then you also mentioned addiction which you know like like kitchens are like you know they they're they have us the they have a stereotype of attracting people that have, you know, problems with addiction, you know, mm-hmm. in the kitchen, um, you know, in your, you know, 20 plus years or whatever in the kitchen, um, what are some maybe misconceptions that you've come across? Um, maybe things that people say or hear about working in the kitchen that you've found to be not true. Um, things that are not true about the kitchen. Um, you know, I think like the kitchen is really like a really like um, close knit like group of people. So even if people think that it's this like big pressure, a lot of times like it's it can be really fun um, because you're just you get to be who you want to be with these people. You know, you can be 100 percent yourself. And uh, a lot of times, you know there's there it's almost like um there's so much team building within that you know trying to overcome adversity or you know a lot of times like the team will rally even if the the leader of the team is highly dysfunctional um and so i guess mis- uh, i'm trying to think of things that people say about restaurant or uh, hospitality culture that aren't actually true um 
I think it's not always just like haywire and like pots and pans being thrown. Um, you know, it can get to a really, really intense level. Yeah. But that's only when the business is at a really, really intense level. Like if you're push, if you're pushing the envelope on how much you're trying to produce, if you're, you know, um, if you're, it's like a very, very busy night um, can really bring out a lot of flaws in systems and push a lot of, you know, stretch a lot of places that, uh, you know, like on a slow night, it can, you know, it can be like a totally different, a totally different, uh, scenario. Um, but you can really see some of the places that people can crack. Um, and so I think that ultimately, um, kitchens are a place that people feel like they could be who they want to be and they're not being judged by, you know, a lot of times they're not being seen by the public. So, um, you know, it's a comfortable place. Um, and it's, it's a lot of times it can be really, really Zen, um, and, and not be constantly haywire. So I think people see it as this like high stress, hundred percent of the time sort of job. And, you know, there's a lot of moments that are just like really peaceful where you're just like, all you're doing is just like this really, really mundane, you know, motion of like, you know, like cleaning artichokes or, or something where it's just like, you've got this mountain that you have to do and you have to get through all of them. And then, you know, you're going to be there for like an hour and a half and you're just like, you know, gabbing with somebody else in the kitchen. So a lot of times it's a lot of like therapeutic, like conversations and, um, you know, like arguing over music or, you know, so there's so much good, like, um, like therapy that happens in kitchens. Yeah. Uh, So, and like healing and and that's not every place, you know, and that's only little moments. And, you know, a lot of times in like, you know, high, uh, like fine dining and um, high pressure kitchens, uh, there's, there's not a lot of room for like, like not being serious. Like you have to be serious, like quite a bit of the time. Um, But, you know, some kitchens are pretty, pretty comfortable and like, you can kind of dress how you want to dress like there's not really like so much strictness. And so it, it's, it, I've seen uh, the gambit of, yeah. of kitchen culture. Um, and I think what people conceive, people think that kitchens are hundred percent just like um, high stress and it's not, it's not always that way. Yeah. Um, and so, they all, and they also see that every, like everybody is this like narcissistic sort of um like self-important and that's not always the case either you know yeah Um, i think so a lot of time a lot of like what like kitchen culture has been dramatized to be this thing that's like i don't know Uh, uh, there's like shows like the bear i don't know if you watch that show um, i haven't seen it yet but i've heard about it yeah so it, it portrays you know kitchen culture in uh in chicago as you know you know, sort of what I'm talking about, this like, you know, toxic, dysfunctional, yeah, um, like completely like absorbing, like self-absorbing like uh, industry. And I don't know, I'm kind of protective of like what, like, like we, there's not a lot like of people who know or who have put in the time into, uh, into cooking professionally to understand that like, like we want to protect protect what we have and and also like we're trying to grow into being more you know kinder to ourselves and trying to give ourselves more work-life balance and trying to like at least I am trying to have the best of both worlds right and with with that comes letting go of a lot of like any ego to you know my name or my stamp on any dishes or right you know things that we do within you know so like like now um we we make things a lot more lateral you know and try i try to delegate a lot of things to people right. and try to like 
you know, ask a lot of opinions about stuff before yeah. we move forward. Um, so trying to collaborate with people, you know, yep. that leads me right into my next question, which <laughs> is, you know, um, you mentioned that people that work in the kitchen a lot of times don't have a great work life balance, right? You know, cause, cause sometimes kitchens have, you know, have kind of crazy hours. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're in early, sometimes they're working late, depends on what the, hours in the kitchen are and a lot of times you know there's not a lot of name recognition you know maybe the the chef has their name recognized and a lot of times no one else does sometimes the chef doesn't even get recognized you know um, right. so why do you do this what fills your bucket the most why like what what gives you the giddy up to keep going you know, I think right now I'm more connected with the food that I'm making in more of not, I don't want to call it lowbrow, but it's more pedestrian than the food that I was making before. You know, I was, I was cooking for people who were, you know, affluent, you know, I honestly, most of the places that I've worked at could not afford to eat at more than like once or twice a year. Um, which is like, that's kind of weird, you know? Uh, and like basically in some ways, like I've worked in open kitchens where I've like served people that were like so much more wealthy than, than me and like being able to like kind of strip down that like barrier, but it still is kind of weird. Uh, and I didn't connect with it as much as right now. Um, really what fills my bucket is, uh, just really like giving some, some people like something that they can count on being delicious and like, you know, made with love and wholesome ingredients and just building like some trust with people that like they can get something affordable. That's like good for their body, good for their mouth. Yes. and, uh, you know, get, giving them something that they can come in, <clears throat> you know, a couple times a week maybe and be able to, you know, yeah. like lie on that type of food, like on a daily basis. Sure. Um, and that is a lot more rewarding um, so far in my career. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's been the, like the, mo- the, the most rewarding. Um, but yeah, like really. I think in fine dining, you get a lot of joy out of making the plates, you know, look the way that they look, you know, the presentation of the food, um, is really, it's fun. You know, it's like putting together, you know, sort of not a piece of art, but in a way it's like, it can be beautiful to look at. You know, if it's done right, not only that, but like, if you know, all the food that's being put on that plate are like cooked exactly the way that they're supposed to be cooked and they look like perfect. And sometimes there's like moments where like everything that you make that night was just so perfect. And it felt like that one service was just like the most outstanding you've had, like, you know, and so trying to like, repeat that process you know it's like uh uh people who make baguettes you know they they have this sort of uh this sort of mantra of like you can never make a perfect baguette yeah you know and even though they're turning out like you know amazing bread you know every single day uh they're highly they they highly criticize themselves and their products and are constantly looking at the flaws. Um, and that like strive for like perfection. Um, it, it just like, it hits a spot for me. Um, for, for sure. So, you know, I, there's a, there's a lot of commonality with like, uh, like producing music or, uh, or writing music, um, you know, where you, sometimes you just feel like it's on, you know, like, or you're like in, you know, like, 
you know, just like an awesome moment. And there's yeah. moments like that in, in kitchen work too. There's, there's a lot of, there can be like a lot of adrenaline, especially in like line work where there's this like mounting pressure of like, you have all this food to prepare. It's got to be prepared so precise and timely, and it's got to be synchronized with, you know, it's like playing in a band almost, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone's got to be, it's like playing like math rock, right? Like everybody's got to be like dialed and like, like, you know, um, like remembering every single part. And, you know, like I, I listened to like, you know, you know, like some like, like math metal and it boggles my mind, like how they, how do they keep their songs in order? And um, I think that there's a level of that in line cooking where you just get into a dance with the people around you and you just understand like what they're going to do and they're getting ready on this and you're looking over there and you can kind of understand the rhythm of the kitchen and you know, that person's going on that. And there becomes this like orchestrated uh, sort of movement and it's beautiful. You know, it can be, it can go so, so wrong also, you know, like one thing, you know, one thing getting sent to the wrong table can derail that. Yeah. Mess up everything. Yeah. I guess I, you know, that, that used to fill my bucket a lot more. Now I don't have a lot of that. Uh, There's a little bit, you know, um, but I get to be a dad and have a really flexible schedule. So, yeah. uh, Yeah. So uh, do you have in your uh, career, maybe you look back and you think of uh, one thing that is like your ultimate favorite moment or a best moment, or you just look back at me like, man, that was like so cool that this one thing happened or that this, that maybe a vent you planned or um, like, I don't know, something really cool that happened. Um, Sure. I mean, yeah, I've done like so many different, like, cool dinner parties and like 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 the the amount of like many different menus that i've prepared with other people and like each one is like unique and sort of special um i guess like one that stands out i actually worked up in oakhurst uh for a while um at a a place called erna's elderberry house um really swanky uh like austrian uh Austrian cuisine or German Austrian um, and Erna uh, was the owner and she is Austrian. Um, and she, I think it was a anniversary party. It was like a 30 year anniversary party. Um, and we made this like, we made this cake that was, um, we it got entered into a contest for there's, there's a, there's a company that's like, they basically are like a luxury endorsement. So they endorse different properties. Um, they're called Relay and Chateau. And they sort of, uh, they are were part of that hotel and restaurant. And so it was, it was part of their whole company-wide uh, anniversary. And it sort of coincided with the specific pro- our property anniversary either way um it was this cake contest among like you know uh a couple hundred different properties and so a bunch of people entered their cakes into this contest and our cake won and it was like featured uh at their event in like i had to recreate it or i had to i had to basically like hand over the recipe so they could recreate it in germany that's cool. Um, but it was, yeah, it was just a really special night. Like it was this huge cake that we, we got to cut. We had this, like this master chef who was there that night who, um, you know, he, he like cut the cake and it was like, I don't know. I don't know why I, I feel like I'm drawn, drawn to that moment. Um, but it just felt like, uh, you know, like I, I can't see it really ever getting better than this or like, it's really cool. Um, you know, it was just like, yeah, it was a special, it was a special night. So, uh, other than that, um, yeah, that's probably like my, it's awesome. Like top, top moment. That's awesome. So we have a segment on the show where if there's a way to do it, 
um, we like to invite the guests to do their topic together with us. If it's possible on the internet to do the topic. Um, if you have something in mind, we could do that. If not, I have a cooking question I want to throw at you. Okay. Okay. Um, I have I have never been able to cook white rice perfectly twice in a row. <laughs> I've cooked white rice. I love we love white rice. I've made perfect white rice uh-huh. many times, but never two times in a row. I do it the same way every time. Yeah. But what's the method? So, you know, we'll take white rice, uh, we'll like, we'll like rinse it, uh, in a colander or whatever until the water runs clear. Uh, and then we'll do like, if it's doing two cups of white rice, we'll do like maybe three cups of water and, uh, put it in there, a little pinch of salt or whatever, and we'll bring it up to a, a simmer or whatever, a boil or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, with, and then put the lid on and we'll do it medium heat for 10 minutes and then um, all the way to low for uh, another 10 minutes. And mm-hmm. I've done it like that every time. Sometimes it's perfect, and most of the time, and then the other times it's not. What, is, what does it look like when it fails? It's, uh, it's like gummy or wet or, uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, or sometimes it's crunchy. Like, what type of rice is it? Um, we recently switched over and decided to go 100% jasmine rice because we like uh-huh. that the best. Yeah. So long grain yeah. white rice. Yeah. Um, my method is to rinse the rice. Um, I usually I usually measure like two cups of white rice, rinse the rice, drain the or rinse it until it's clear, um, and then. I put it with like, if I'm doing two cups, I do like one and three quarters times water. Um, And yeah, pinch of salt, bring it up to a boil, turn it to low immediately, cover it, make sure your lid is airtight or like doesn't have any like hole. Okay. Because you want it to steam. You don't want to lose any water. If you're losing water, that could be an inconsistency. So like if your lid is a jar and like more steam comes out, uh, and then, but I, but my favorite way is to make pilaf with long grain rice. And that's basically just, just cooking it in the raw rice and a little bit of butter before you add the liquid. Yeah. And that's probably like the easiest way to make rice is just like about a tablespoon of butter, a cup of rice saute the rice kernels in the butter for about five minutes on low and then add a cup and three quarters of liquid usually like chicken stock and some salt and same thing bring it up to a boil turn it to low and cover it yeah that would that i mean that's how i make rice but i mean there's so many different you know uh, another very very uh easy way to make rice is to cook it like pasta Okay. Is it like boil it? Like literally boil it? Literally boil it in a large amount of water. I've never heard of this. And then you can just strain it. Basically, you can taste it. Like this is how I cook brown rice because brown rice is, takes a lot longer to cook. Yeah. Usually like I end up adding more liquid or I, it's like the, the liquid to the ratio is hard to understand. So um, I bring a large amount of water to a boil and then I add my rice and I cook it until it's the doneness that I like. Yeah. And then I remove it from the water and let it just like cool. Okay. All right. So we're up against the time here. So let's uh, ask you the, the name of the show, which is N plus one. What is on the horizon for you in your journey? What are you looking forward to? What is N plus one for you? Um, yeah, we're opening up another cafe in like – Seattle proper in the next few months. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. That's like a, it's going to be more like a flagship spot for us. Oh, nice. So that's awesome. Okay. Before we get out of here, um, how can people find you if they're visiting Seattle? Where can people eat your food? Where, where can people find you? Sure. I, I don't know if you can find me. I mean, I'm I know, you don't use social in. very much. Um, it was, it was kind of hard for me to track you down, but um, yeah, yeah, I, I I lay pretty low, but I mean, you can go by the cafes, Burian Press, Moonshot, 
or Fable are the three cafes. Nice. And uh, we'll yeah, put a link in the show notes for those things. Uh, you guys can find them there. Uh, but before you go, I'm going to ask you the two silly questions and we'll get you out of here. Which right. is the first question is I want you to say a quick sentence or two and casually drop the name of the most famous person you've ever met. Uh, and you, I don't know, you might have served some famous people. I don't know. Yes, I may or may not have bummed or had Bono bum a cigarette from me. No on, way. On the stoop of the rest. I worked in New York City at Bobo, and he would hang out there. Um, That's amazing. So, but yeah, I uh, shook uh, the Yankees owner's hand and the Mets owner's oh, hand wow. at, the same, at the same time, which is kind of weird. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Okay, and then the last silly question is, uh, what is, in your opinion, the all-time greatest cartoon theme song? Spider-Man. Spider-Man? Yeah. Nice. Spider-Man. That's the first Spider-Man we've got. That's like a good the one. Old, just like the old school yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. And Kyle, thank you so much for coming on. We had some trouble tonight, but... I loved having you on the show and I loved your insight into uh, the, the hospitality industry. For sure. So many things I never thought about. Uh, it was great stories. Great hearing from you. Great seeing you. Uh, hope you have a great New Year's and uh, glad you had a good, uh, good Christmas. And uh, so the rest of everybody, uh, thanks for tuning in. And until next time, everybody, don't be a jerk.